When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. My guest today pretty much needs zero introduction and it would be too long of an introduction would take up our whole time together. Please welcome Chelsea Handler. Hi, Chelsea. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I do the same, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I wish I could remember what movie that was from. Yeah, who knows, who cares? Who knows, who cares? I am so excited to be talking to you. It has been a very long time, but we've got so much to discuss. I'm just going to start right with the tour. Vaccinated and horny. Now, I got to tell you, my vaccine did not go that way. I became sleepy and cranky. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I've been hearing a lot about that, a lot of negative feedback about the vaccines. And at first, I always thought, I'm like, oh, God, you're a conspiracy theorist. But then I got my booster and I ended up in the hospital with this thing called a cardiomyopathy in Holy like shit. February. And and then there's this whole kind of like uptick for, for women in their for, between 40 and 50 of women who have had this thing since like 2019, 2020, 21. And I I do believe I'm like, I'm, I mean, I asked my doctor and of course doctors don't ever wanna say anything's related to anything vaccine wise. But I do kind of feel like it was related to the vaccine because like I'm not a high stress person. And that was like a stress induced kind of like it mimics a heart attack, but it's not a heart attack. But it feels just like I mean, but I ended up in the hospital in Seattle for like, you know, overnight. I was like, oh, my gosh. But I do think, yeah, the vaccine has uh, some bad side effects for women, especially. Well, I, I was fine until my booster, which kicked my ass. And it was, it was, I did not expect it. Um, I was wondering. So what happened? What were you in bed for a few days? What happened? No, I was cranky and tired and felt like I was getting the flu and went to bed and woke up fine the next morning. But I've got that like peasant DNA. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that Ashkenazi DNA, you mean? I, no, because half of the family was very high up in society and the other half were like Russian peasants pulling a plow through the snow it, with their teeth looking for a potato. And that, but that would be, that would be a stronger, uh, you know, don't you think that would make you tougher? Oh, cause in my family, the women really need to be a whole lot tougher. Let's just leave it at that. We're not exactly tender flowers. You know, um, right. Well, I'm a, if it makes you feel any better, I'm also a Russian Jew. So we were, pro- our ancestors were probably towing the fields together. Yes. And, but I, you are a very aggressive skier. I always look, I'm like, oh, we should be friends. Cause I'm an aggressive skier till I tore my ACL, but you were in like the trees and did something and had to go down in the toboggan of shame, just like me. You know. I did. I tore my ACL too skiing. Where yeah. did you tear yours? Jackson Hole. Oh yeah, that's a good mountain. That's a hard mountain. Yeah, but I did um, it by the way on the cat track, going from one lift to another. 
<laughs> just <laughs> <a> doodle. <laughs> just like not paying attention and like turn. I'm like, shit. You were at least like in the trees. Well, I was in Zermatt, Switzerland. So it sounds a lot like really nice. Um, but I was all, I was, this was before I became a really good skier. My injury actually propelled me to be, become a better, more skillful skier because I was just out of control. And that's why I wiped out so badly and tore my ACL. And I, I fell so many times, like rolled over so many times and just heard my knee going like click, 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 that I thought for sure when I landed that my leg would have been separate, was going to be separated from the rest of my body. I'm like, oh, I just lost a leg. And then when I came, when I came, when I stopped, I looked up and our ski guide that we had hired for the day just looked at me and he had already lit a cigarette and said, you just tore your ACL, helicopter is coming. And then that was it for me. Yeah, and that makes you feel good. I didn't get the helicopter. I just got the toboggan. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I one-upped you then. You, By the way, not hard to do. I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about comedy during the pandemic. Did it change your, your point of view at all? It didn't change my point of view. Well, I mean, there's a lot of material that came from the pandemic, obviously, because, I mean, everybody had to deal with their own, you know, stuff. Like, my sister invaded my house during COVID with her three adult children, and that's something I've worked really long and hard my entire life to avoid having happen. So I had to, I had to, actually had to put my house on the market in order to get them to move out. Uh, <laughs> and then I had to buy a new house. So that's a long way to go just to tell your family to leave. Yeah. Um, but I just had to comedy, give my, I just had to give my son new rules. And like used, what? Um, I had to remind him that we used to have something called the magic hamper. When he was a teenager, like your clothes went into the hamper and they came back clean. And if he did not get them into the magic hamper, that didn't happen. But he now had to learn that you actually, there's another step, which is, because he figured out he could pay his roommate at college or would do some of his roommate's homework and the roommate would do the laundry. He's crafty like that. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. He didn't realize there was another step called doing the laundry. Right. So we ended up by the end of pan the pandemic, just the two of us, we would just get dressed and undressed in the laundry room because it was just <laughs> we like removed a whole step. <laughs> just start putting it in as we take it off. That's like the opposite of what right now I'm in a hotel in New York City. Joe Coy, my lover, yes. is does laundry about 24 hours out of the day. We have a laundry, a washer and a dryer in our hotel room. Uh -huh. And he starts doing laundry as soon as we check in. And for some reason, the either the washer or the dryer is going at, at every point during the day. Whenever we come home, it's still on. And he does. I mean, I think he takes the clothes out of the laundry and then just puts them right back in. But do you do the, we used to have, uh, Cooper and I had like chores on this, like whoever got up first or if the washing machine wasn't going, you had to flip it into the dryer and our dryer, you got to run it twice. Oh, that's so annoying. That's like our hotel room. We have to run it like three times. I'm like, is there something wrong with this filter? Yeah, no, you can't do anything about it. It just means your dryer's trying to die on you. Um, so mm. much I want to talk to you about because we're living in this world of, uh, obviously cancel culture, but I hate using that term now because I don't feel like it's cancel culture so much, but oversensitivity. And I think it's really affected comedians and you're on tour right now. Have you found yourself looking at stuff and going, mm, can't do that anymore? Or just even editing a millimeter back? Because that, to me, that's the death of comedy. 
Well, I, there's a, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it, I mean, I, you know, I was just reminded of this when I did that uh, tribute for Netflix, uh, entering your mom, inducting your mom into the hall. Um, and I was reading all of her jokes, you know, and going, oh my God, she would have been pissed, like, you know, living during this time. So it is, you know, a lot of comics are like, oh, it's a huge hindrance and it's a bummer. But there's another way to look at it, which is more of like, you know, optimistic outlook. Like people are just asking us not to be sexist and not to be racist. Like that isn't that hard to do. You know what I mean? It, as a performer and as a creative, it's, I mean, I used to say things that would totally get me in trouble today. And to make an adjustment and have to kind of work within new parameters, I think is a welcome change. Like I, I don't, I'm not resisting that change. I don't have a hard time not saying anything offensive. Definitely in the beginning, I was like, oh shit, what, what did it, but it's not a hard adjustment to make. And I, and I kind of feel like uh, that, you know, especially male comics who can't stop belaboring how annoying and hard it is. It's just kind of almost like, well, then you guys really need to do it the most. Like if it's that hard to just not be, to be a little bit more sensitive. I know a lot of people have share your viewpoint, but I feel like that's not that big of a challenge. What's interesting, and I never would have guessed you were an optimist. That's like the last thing. I know, right? I know, that's kind of scaring me, shaking, in my, shaking me to my core. Um, well, listen, the fucking world we're living in right now, I mean, I have to try and be optimistic at least a couple of hours out of the day because everything is so depressing and scary. Like, I mean, come on, you know, I don't want to, if I, if I sit there and watch the news, if I re behave the way I did after Trump was elected, then I'm just like in a dark hole and that's just bad vibrations all around. So yes, I am, I have learned through therapy <laughs> and through a lot of like inner deeper work to try and remain optimistic about things. But what's interesting is what you said was it's forcing you to be more creative in a way. And yeah, and also, yeah, absolutely. More creative, smarter, sharper, not, you know, being reduced to like the easiest level of comedy, which sometimes making fun of other people is. Yeah. Um, and and kind of looking within like, you know, we should all be making fun of ourselves first. Right. It's, it starts from self-deprecation. And uh, that's easy. So yeah. that's also easy. And I'm, that's not being taken away from us. Yeah, exactly. That's the low hanging fruit. Right. But that just I hadn't really thought about that way as sort of more of a challenge, which I find a, a very interesting new way to look at it. People keep asking me, how would my mother be handling this? And I think yeah. to myself, here's what she would do. It was such an easy, such a softball for me, which is she would go on stage and say, well, I'm not allowed to do these jokes anymore and then do them. Right. You know, right, and right. I find that sort of, you know. That just hit me the other day. You know, most of your audiences share your views. Have you started seeing any people being very aggressively vocal? I hate using the word hecklers uh, towards you during this tour yet? Most of my like hecklers come from just really drunk women in the audience women. who are really <laughs> overly excited. You know, men don't heckle me because they're, listen, any straight white man that's at my show, somebody made them come, you right. know, like my audience is women, gay men. I mean, there's always a sprinkle of straight men that are like, yeah, we love Chelsea Handler, but it's not an overwhelming amount. It's always, you know, you have to be a marginalized person to enjoy my comedy. <laughs> so 
So I don't get heckled a lot and I'm, I'm able to shut that down pretty quickly, but also, yeah, it's primarily women who have just had, I mean, there was a woman at my show in the front row the other night in Long Island who was, or no DC, who was just passed out. Like she had already blown her load and before the show began, when she, when it began, she was alert and awake. And then five minutes in, she was just like this down, sitting with her face down and almost like, at one point I was like, did she cross over? Like she was almost convulsing and then just stopped making sound. And I'm like, oh my God, these women, like what the fuck is wrong with people that they can't keep it together, you know, in an audience that they've already gotten so shit faced before they even got there. Well, they got the mix wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's important. The mix is very crucial. The mix crucial. is key. And obviously she thought she had timed it right and wasted a lot of money because we know how expensive those front row tickets are. And then the woman next to her who was with her just pretended like she had no idea who this woman was. <laughs> and finally, at like towards the end of the show, the woman got up and just like stumbled out. And I said to the woman, I go, is that your friend? And she's like, ugh. Like she didn't even want to take responsibility. I'm like, you can't just pretend you're not with somebody. Yeah, you can. I've been on dates like that. <laughs> I've been on dates where I've preset calls to come in. And I'd be like, oh, babysitter, you know, wow, sorry, I'm so sorry I have to go. And then I'm like, one of these guys is going to figure out that my son's like 20 <laughs> and call me out on it. Have you ever climbed out a bathroom window? I have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've done so many things to get away from men. I once told a guy that my... I had to get my Invisalign out of my car in order to sleep over and then left and like never came back. I've made up so many lies in the moment to get away from people that, I mean, it's shameful, but also at least I had good instincts, right? I mean, I got too far. I got a little too carried away and got to their house, but yeah. at least once I got to their house, I was like, wait a second. Sometimes I would see someone's house and realize I have to get out of here. Isn't that the worst? And then you find out they're either messy or their house is gross. Or they've lied. Yeah. When yeah. They have to go, Which like, is a common theme. Right. Like, what's your situation now? Are you dating someone? I have just started dating someone. It's very new, but it hasn't been long enough for me to sleep with my mouth garden. Right. Right. It's well, that's just that kind of new. That's just, that's still kind of new. He called <laughs> me last night before I went to bed and I had my guards in because, you know, it's all about being pretty. Um, and he's like, why are you lisping? <laughs> like, oh. And I go, yeah, upper and lower. I grind my teeth. <laughs> and if that ain't a pretty picture, you know, and I had like the full nighttime routine going. So it wasn't a FaceTime, I take it. No, no, no. It was a quick good night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My boyfriend. Confirming like Thursday. Oh, confirming your date on Thursday? Yeah. That's cute. So That's you're, cute. You're, you've dated across the board, professionally, culturally. You've gone from music titan to network head, which I was around for, to now another comedian. Are you mentally okay that you're, there's two of you in a relationship? Because I grew up with a comedian. Y'all are crazy. Yeah, you know, the thing about Joe is, though, like, he's not your typical male comedian. He's just not like that. I would never, ever have pictured myself with a comic because guys are just, first of all, comedians are narcissists, a lot of them, you know, not everybody, but a lot. I mean, it takes a narcissist. Think about it, to get on stage with a microphone and nobody else is talking. Hello, like, there. that's your first point. And, of, deeply, uh, and deeply insecure. 
Yes. Because who yes. else gets up there and says, laugh at me? I'm good with it because now you're paying attention and I don't feel so insecure. Yeah, yeah. That's a definite common theme. And the need, the constant need for the more and more laughter, right? Like right. it's never good enough. You have to go again and then go again. So that's a thing. But he's very much like, uh, you know, I remember he we got together one night. I was at the Mirage in Vegas and he we were friends and we were hanging out a lot, but nothing was happening like romantically. And he came to the Mirage in Vegas and I was backstage and I was putting my new hour up and I was nervous and he was so sweet backstage and just like so there for me and it wasn't about him at all and and, and I just thought I remember thinking oh this is, he's not a narcissist he's not anything like that like he really cared for me and made wanted to make sure I was okay and feeling secure and ready for to go up and that was the night that I was like oh wait I like this is this is my person I think like I want to be with him in that way once I saw that side of him I had seen it before but not in a professional way because he's a big comic right and I just didn't think that you know another comic could be available for you in that way that wasn't a woman uh, that's that's a fascinating uh statement but because I just don't wanna, I want to pivot for one sec back to Netflix what was your reaction when they asked you to induct my mom Oh my God, right away. First of all, I had to, because like, you know, your mom would like approached me a couple times when we were on E and stuff. And I just felt like shit because I had just kind of blown her off. You know, I wasn't respectful in the way that I realized I needed to be it now. And I was so excited about the opportunity to do it, to go and say those things in front of everybody, you know, to be like, you have to remember that every opportunity that anyone has in this world as a female comedian, you have to thank the people that came before you. You know, when I was on E, I was just so young and arrogant and just thought, I did it. I got myself to where I was. I didn't give her the kudos that she deserved. And uh, so I was eager to really like, you know, put that in writing. Because you And you bring it up, which is um, at E. And I got to be, I'm going to be 100% honest. I got a text saying, what do you think of Chelsea Handler inducting your mom? And I went fucking bananas. Oh, I, God, really? I, I bet. Went, I bet. I get it. I went berserk. And then someone sent me the clip. And I got really emotional. And it was very bittersweet for me. And I had two thoughts, one of which was, God damn it, why isn't my mother here? Because it would have meant a lot to her. Because she never understood the, not the lack of respect, but the total lack of interaction. And she, she yeah. never understood that. And then my second thought was, God damn it, they would have gotten along. You're yeah, very totally. similar. But I got to tell you, that meant the world to me. <laughs> it really did. And that was one of the reasons I'm like, I, so first of all, I've been trying to send you flowers since then, but you've been oh, on really? the road. We have been trying to send you flowers for like a month and a half now. It was with a note from me. Of course, I got out my good stationery because I was raised, you know, with it all. Dearest Chelsea, I cannot tell you how much that, you know, so you were going to get flowers or an orchid with a handwritten note. So there you go. You got to let me when you're home, but you don't get the handwritten note anymore. Now you just get <laughs> thanks. Um, if you could turn it back, what what question do you think you would ask her? 
I mean, I guess, you know, there's just so many, you know, I guess there's just so many parallels, A, that I would be interested in, you know, her relationship with Johnny Carson, you know, which was so uh, conflicted, but also so gave her such, gave her, gave her her career in many yeah. respects. And I mean, I don't doubt. That. She said that all the time. Yeah. And I had, you know, I had that dynamic with two men in my life. I had the same dynamic, well, not the same dynamic, but, you know, a similar dynamic with Jay Leno and a similar dynamic with Ted Harbour, you know, who I ended up being in a relationship with because he just represented to me all the things that I had never had. Like, you know, a man who was in charge that believed in me, that had their shit together. Like it was like a, it was kind of like a father figure issue, but also, deeper than that because you know my father didn't have his shit together so i loved my father i looked up to him but he would never have the wherewithal to be in a position like ted so ted i was so taken by you know and to, and so vulnerable too because i was so young you know and yeah, so immature you were a baby. and um i think i would have loved to ask her about that you know about those relationships with these male these males, these influential males in your life and what it means and that dance that she had to do with Johnny when she knew that, you know, there wasn't that personal relationship, but there was that professional kind of front that they did and the nuance of that and how she had to play it to appease him. I mean, I would have asked her about your father. I mean, I find that whole dynamic so fascinating and so interesting because he was like that Ted for her, you know? That was like that kind of same dynamic where they were in charge and were telling you what to do and you looked up to them because it was your savior. So there's like a couple of parallels that I felt with her since, you know, I've learned more about her as the years have gone by. And especially after she died, I really did like a deep dive into her and her writing and just everything. And I just, oh, and I, and I realized, oh, wow, like she was really out there by herself. You know, she was going to those clubs alone when women were like carrying, you know, doing shticks and pretending to be characters on stage instead of just being a funny woman. She really opened the door for everybody to do that at a time where it was completely unwelcome. That and you weren't allowed to be attractive. One of the right. Most, did you ever get the chance to meet Phyllis Diller? I believe I've met her. Yeah, I met her briefly once at some at some event. She was, and I remember this, and I didn't get to meet her till she was much much older. I was always fascinated by the fact that she was this incredibly beautiful woman with unbelievable elegant taste. Yet she had to make herself look ridiculous on stage. And I I feel like my mom was the first one that allowed you to be attractive and be yeah but what's funny about your mom is she always talks about being unattractive like her whole shtick was talking about how men didn't like her and that she was you know the ugly girl and i didn't understand that aspect too i totally understand the aspect of playing down your looks because i even i did that and i came up however many years later i knew that you couldn't go on stage in a dress and be like you know have my boobs out and i mean now i have my boobs out all the time but for separate reasons but you know i knew because <laughs> you that want not to you want everyone Not to, to see that they're still where they were when you were 25. Yeah, exactly. That's my best feature. So <laughs> I figure like open with that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, she, I know about downplaying your looks and like, it's funny that your mom always talked about how she wasn't attractive because she was attractive. So I see now what that was. It's kind of like trying to convince people that you're not as pretty as they think you are or perceive you to be. 
Do you find it hard or not so much now because you're at a very different level? But my mother always talked about the loneliness in the beginning, especially of being a woman comic on the road. Because no matter how tough you are, no matter all that, you're still not one of the guys and you still go home alone and they can pick up someone at the bar. And that sort of very vulnerable, lonely feeling. Did you ever experience that? Yeah, I mean, being on the lo- on, on the road, sorry, is lonely. Like, it's depressing. You know, you're in cities sometimes where you don't even want to leave your hotel room. You're, you know, I was in Louisville, Kentucky a few weeks ago, and I walked outside. I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk, like, get my 10,000 steps in. After a thousand steps, the city was over. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to flip a bitch and go back to my hotel room. Like there are places where you're like, you want to have the vibe or, and then you're just exhausted all the time. That's the other thing. You're just fucking tired. You know, even if you, you know, eat like, you know, if you're completely on a program and you abstain from alcohol and you eat well, you're still, you still feel hungover almost every single day when you're on the road. It's just a haze because of the travel and the airports and the, you know, all of it and the driving and it can be depressing for sure. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I've definitely felt that, Um, you know, I guess I've gotten used to it and in a sense, but it's not the best, that's not, it's not a blast for sure. I mean, this last weekend, I had a couple friends on the road with me. Joe Coy wasn't on tour, so he came with me to my shows. My makeup artist, Jamie from New York, uh, from LA came out and we had just a great group and it made the world of difference. Cause then it's like, you go to lunch, you have fun, you go to a museum, whatever. Uh, not too many museums because I can only handle about one a month. But hey, get that one in. It makes you exercise. I always say it makes me like flex parts of my brain. Hopefully they don't cramp, you know, while I'm in the middle looking at something. What is your favorite aspect? Because you're a writer, you're an actress, you're a TV host, and you're a stand-up. Which, if you could pick one or only have to do one one more time, what would it be? Um... You know, I just love language. Like I love expressing myself in an articulate way and getting getting like the writing of a book, the writing of a joke, the writing while you're improving on camera. All of that to me is expressing language and I love language. Like I'm looking up words all day long. I read books all the time. I love like the, the study of words. I just love that. And I love being able to be a cut above, you know, to, to know my shit, to know when my vocab word of the day pops up, I know it. And I know the definition, like I have this kind of inner competition with words and with like expressing myself in a way that is, you know, that will reach people and, and inspire people. I want to provoke like thinking and make you people understand, you know, make men understand what they're not going to ever get about sexism because they're not the victims of it. They're the perpetrators of it, you know? So like their opinions about it are irrelevant. I like to make, you know, points like that. So I think to answer your question, I would say all of them when, when, when that, when the actual writing comes from me, you know, is where is is where I feel the most passion. So I, it's applicable to all of my projects and all of my work. Um, so yeah, it's just it's language. You probably do crossword puzzles in ink, don't you? I don't do crossword puzzles. <gasps> no, I don't do that. Why no. not? I mean, I should. I just never get around to that. I just love reading books. Like whenever I have spare time and watching TV, I watch a, a lot of TV. What are you watching? Um, what are you watching right now? 
Uh, we're watching the staircase. We're going back and forth from the documentary to the to the HBO Max version. We just keep toggling back and forth because I can't get enough of this fucking shit. I did that with Gaslit, and I went to that and a slow burn, which was the podcast made into a TV show about Watergate. Oh, how was Gaslit? It's good. I think I have one more episode, but I would toggle between those two. Okay, yeah. So, well, I'll hit that one up next. But yeah, it's it's so funny. Only in our society do we see like this disgusting murder story, and then they make it into a t- like, and then they make it into a series. They're like, let's do a fictionalized version of this horrifying crime. Yeah, exa- exactly. But I'm a true crime junkie, so I will watch it in any form whatsoever. I will have forensic files on in the background as I'm falling asleep because I find that soothing. Strangely. Yeah, um, SVU, Special Victims Unit, is a good background show to always have on when you're in a hotel room. I'm more of a traditional law and order because if I can go to sleep and Jerry Orbach's on the case, life is good. <laughs> life is good. <laughs> Anyone who wants to see Chelsea, you've got a huge national tour. Go to ChelseaHandler.com. I am so, A, touched that you decided to come on my show. I am so... Still, I'm going to get all weepy, but it's too early and I'll ruin my makeup. Um, About what you said at Netflix. I am so impressed with, and I hate this, the deep dives you've done. And uh, I hope that this is the beginning of us being able to uh, be friends or at least go get some turns in. Yeah, for sure. Let's you hit. You know who we have in common? Uh, Sarah. Sarah, who did me this morning, and I love makeup Jamie. Oh my God. Let's all go out. We'll go out for dinner, the four of us. We'll I, get some drinks and dinner. I am wearing her lip gloss and bly lighter today. Oh my God. I love it. Bloss and bly lighter. Yeah. Yes. She was who was with me this weekend, yeah, so Jamie. She's that. the best. So, everyone, don't forget, check out Chelsea on tour. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Melissa. It was such a pleasure. A Huda Media Production.